turn in our Bibles uh, this morning to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be covering verses 10 to 18. Uh, like I always say, it's exciting to start a book. It's exciting to finish a book because I know I'm going to be moving on to another book. And um, we're going to finish uh, today uh, 2 Peter. I titled this morning's message, Warning, The Day of the Lord Will Come. And I think that it's, uh, there's a lot of warnings as I've shared through this second letter of Peter that Peter gives to us as believers. And this one that he finishes on, which could really be a theme of this book uh, of the Lord's return, the day of the Lord will come. And I think that that's important for us to always keep at the forefront of our minds as Christians. Peter, in this uh, last chapter, he's warning his brothers and sisters, he's warning us this morning that in the last days, scoffers are going to come. They're going to be asking this question, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, People have been saying that for a long time. Where is the promise of his coming? And there's going to be those that are going to scoff at the thought that Jesus Christ is coming back again. What we see in this chapter is that there's a contrast. There's a contrast between verses 1 to 9, which speaks about the scoffers in these last days, and then from 10 to 18, that it starts out by telling us, but the, late, but the day of the Lord will come. I shared also last Sunday that there are some people who want to suppress the truth. They want to push it away. They don't want to deal with it. How many of us really, you know, and people that don't know the Lord, how many of them want to deal with the, the idea that the world could come to an end? or that the Lord could come back. And so there are people that will willfully forget, as Peter says, that there is a God that created the heavens and the earth. Why would they want to willfully forget that? That there's an actual creator that created it all. Because then they're accountable to something that is greater than themselves. They also willfully forget that the world perished being flooded by water. People want to mock that there was ever a flood that came upon a Noah's Ark and a flood that came and of judgment from God upon a sinful world. They also willfully forget that God once judged the earth and He will judge it again a second time, but the second time is going to be by fire. They also reject... God's promise of a future judgment day. Look at what your Bible says in chapter 3, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, or we could say the same promise, they're reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. What I found 
is that a lot of times people, if they think or they say that something's not going to happen, that it won't happen. In other words, that doesn't work with God. We can't be, you know, I just refuse to believe that. And if I say it enough times, it's not going to happen. That'll never happen. I don't believe that's going to happen. Does that mean it's not going to happen? People try to suppress the truth. They try to push it away. But it won't work with God because no matter how much we say we don't believe, God is going to be faithful to his promise that he's going to return. We finished last week in chapter 3, verse 9, with Peter telling us that there seemingly is a long delay. People have been saying that for a long time, and it's almost as if the Lord is dragging his feet. But what we read and what Peter tells us, it has nothing to do with God being slow or dragging his feet. It has to do with the fact that he's long-suffering that he's not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, that's the love of God. That's the mercy of God. That's what God wants to do. He wants to save. And we know that one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. In other words, 2,000 years of church history have transpired for the Lord. That's a couple of days. The Lord is patiently waiting for that last person to receive him as Lord and Savior. Peter, he closes this letter, this second letter, with a warning about a a future coming day. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then, In verses 10 to 13, he's going to describe the day of the Lord. And then in verses 14 to 16, he's going to exhort us as Christians of how our behavior should change in light of his coming. How should we be living? And then lastly, in verses 17 to 18, Peter gives us a final exhortation and an encouragement. If you look at our text from verses uh, 10 to 18, you'll notice verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That's the theme of what we're going to talk about this morning. And then look at verse 11. It starts with the word, therefore. In light of what he says in verse 10, Peter says, therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved. It doesn't say they might be, but that they will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now look at verse 14, how it starts. Therefore, in other words, there should be some change in our life. There should be something that should affect us when we realize the Lord is coming back. We're living in light of eternity. He says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And then look at verse 17, how it starts. 
Peter gives this final exhortation, encouragement, in light of everything that he just said there, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Don't you like it when you get heads up? When you're told ahead of time, you know what's going to happen before it comes. In a sense, that's what we're getting this morning. Now let's look more closely at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. But the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. When I read my Bible, I'm a literalist. I read it for what it says. I take it for what it says. It tells me that the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. It's going to be done with a fervent heat. It's going to be burned up. And I believe that is how this creation will end. The day of the Lord, though, is going to come as a thief in the night. Peter says, in contrast to what the scoffers are saying, where is the promise of his coming? Peter says, but, it's a transition word, it's a contrast word, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I think that there are many today that can be deceived. They look at our world, they look what's going on in our world. You see, some Christians are content just to do church here on earth. I'm not one of them. I'm looking forward to the day that we're going to enter in to glory with our Lord. I'm not content with just doing church here on earth. But don't talk to me about future things. I don't like that. Because that means change would come to me. But we need to be assured from when we read our Bibles that the day of the Lord will come. Peter, he may have been remembering the words of the Lord out of Luke chapter 12, verse 39, which was a time that Jesus was speaking uh, to his disciples. Peter was there, by the way. And Jesus says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And then Peter, he's the spokesperson quite often, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Now, if you read on in the context of that, you'll see that he is speaking that even to you and I today, that we need to be ready And that the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Peter also writes that in verse 10 there, that 
in that day, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. You see, the scoffers in this chapter, they're saying the heavens continue as they were from the creation of time. Nothing's changed. God created and nothing has changed from the beginning. Look at verse 4. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And they're just thinking, you know, nothing's changed. The heavens and the earth, they continue just as they were from the beginning of time. Peter says in this chapter, though, don't be deceived by these scoffers. He says to us as Christians, don't lose your faith in what God has promised that He will do. Don't lose faith in God's promises. God promises in His Word that He's coming back. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, am I convinced? Do I believe in faith that Jesus Christ is going to return? He says that the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. And that great noise there, if you were to look it up, it's defined as like a rushing noise. Or like a rushing roar. Or like a whizzing arrow flying past your head. Hopefully you've never had that happen to you. An arrow passing close to your head. That is how Peter is describing what it's going to look like in the day of the Lord, when God dissolves the heavens and the earth. In other words, it's gone in a moment. And I shared with you last week how even the atoms and everything that make up our matter in life, that God holds it in His hand. And all it takes for God is to release what He holds in His hand, and it's done. He created it all. He holds it in His existence. He lets the planets rotate and go as they do. That's God. When God lets His hand go, it's going to pass away. Peter describes it as passing away with a great noise. He goes on to say, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now these, this word elements, it, it, it's possible that what's being said here is that it's speaking about the sun and the moon and the stars and what we might call the material heaven that's above us. But what we do know is whatever all of that is, all matter is going to melt with fervent heat. It's going to be, in other words, dissolved with fervent heat. Look at uh, verse 11, it clarifies that. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, there's the word, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. All of nature, all of God's creation, and even the works of man's hands. Look at our world. 
Look at all the design and ingenuity that man has put in to planet Earth. All of these things are going to be dissolved. They're going to be burned up. And I, and I hope that none of us here this morning are going to be saddened with the thought that all the things that you have worked for, the beautiful house that you might possess, the things that you might possess, that all of those things are going to one day be burned up. They're going to go away. You see, I know this because some of us probably get bothered when the scorching heat hits our beautiful front yard that we put a lot of money and time and energy into, and we start seeing the burn spots on the lawn. That even bothers us. But the fact is something greater is going to happen in the fact that God is going to dissolve everything. All of the works of man are going to be dissolved. They're going to be burned up. And you know what? You're not going to find when we arrive in heaven, those of us that know the Lord, you won't see any U-Haul trailers pulling in. You won't have any U-Hauls hauling all of our stuff with us. It's all going to be burned up. I hope that excites everybody. Here are some of the things that we know about the coming day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not just a single day or a one-time event. It's actually a large group of prophetic events that are predicted in both the Old and the New Testament. In other words, that God is going to directly intervene into the affairs of man. And when he intervenes, it's going to be for judgment, but it's also going to be for blessing. The word day in the Bible can be used in various ways. Sometimes it's speaking of the time from sunset to sundown. Sometimes it's speaking of a 24-hour day that we would know. And still other times in context, it's used for an extended period of time. I believe Peter, in this third chapter, is looking ahead to the end of the day of the Lord when he's talking about the heavens and the earth being dissolved. We're living in a period of church history, we call it, called the church age. It began 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached that message. 3,000 plus souls got saved. The church was birthed 2,000 years ago. We're living in that church age even now. And it continues to this day. We're no longer living under the old covenant of the Old Testament. We're living under the new covenant of the New Testament. You see, the law came by Moses under the old covenant, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ under the new covenant. We're all living as Christians now, the church age saints are living in the age of grace. 
We're living in the age of grace. We came to faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved. We've come to realize it wasn't through the law. It was through by the grace of God, through faith that I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the age we're living in. The church age, the age of grace, a time of unmerited favor that we have experienced as the church. Paul, in the book of Romans, in chapter 11, verse 25, he says, but when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, you might want to make note of that in your Bible, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then God will finish at that time, God is going to finish his plan for the nation of Israel. How is he going to do that? I believe in a seven-year literal tribulation period. I believe that God, in a sense, has Israel on hold, and God will once again be dealing specifically with the nation of Israel during that seven-year tribulation period that is going to come upon this earth. When the day of the Lord comes, I believe that the church age that I just spoke about is going to stop. The age of grace is going to close because the church and the church age saints are going to be gone. The day of the Lord at that time, which I believe is at the rapture of the church, at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, the day of the Lord will begin. Remember that the day of the Lord is a succession of events. It's not just one event. It's not just him coming back at one event, but it is a succession of events. And Peter, his focus here appears to be at the end of the day of the Lord. But it could also include the rapture of the church. In other words, the day of the Lord is going to come suddenly upon an unexpecting world. It's going to come in a, a time that you think not. And many are not going to be ready. It's what we read in the Bible. Many will not be ready and many will not be saved when the Lord returns. Can you uh, imagine what the false teachers in chapter 2 and the scoffers in chapter 3 are going to be thinking when the rapture takes place. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Paul wrote this. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Mysteries are things that in their appropriate time, they're going to be revealed. This was an appropriate time for the Holy Spirit to speak this truth into Paul's heart. And now that revelation or that mystery is being revealed to the church. He says this about the mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Sleeping for the Christian is that you passed on in this life, but to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible refers to it as just as falling asleep. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead 
will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That's glorious. The thought of the Lord coming back and taking us and giving us our glorified body, going into the presence of the Lord, what a glorious thought. But there's going to be those in the church who deny that Christ could come back at any moment. There are many today. They don't believe that Christ could come back at any moment. They don't live in that kind of expectancy. Many of them are not even living in expectancy of his return. You know that there's some deny that Jesus, they say he's already come back. They say he's not coming back. How'd you like to be a Christian in this world, going to church and doing all the things we do, but there's nothing after this life. It's just here, church on earth. And I believe it's a danger within the church for a person to not be living in expectancy of Christ's return. Not watching and not ready. And those are the warnings that we see throughout our Bible. There's actually a heresy, we'll call it. There's a doctrine out there that they call a doctrine. It's the heresy of kingdom now theology. It's also called dominion theology or dominionism. And what they believe is that God lost control of this world to Satan. That's false, by the way. And they also believe that the church needs to take back what they should have been able to keep. They need to take back and then the Lord will return. There are people that are living today under the quote, uh, Orthodox Christian, that really believe that until the Christian church takes back what we lost, that the Lord will not come back. And they also have set up their own Christian governing rules that don't even line up most of them with the Bible. That's false also. But let me give you what I believe is a short timeline of the events that I see in Scripture. We are living in the present church age, as I've already said. Then comes the rapture of the church. Following the rapture of the church, there's going to be seven-year tribulation period that is going to come upon this earth. And I believe a literal seven-year period. Then there's the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of that seven-year period. Then there's going to follow the tribulation period, the judgment of nations. Then there's going to be the millennial reign of Christ, which is going to be Christ on earth with us for a thousand years. Christ setting up his kingdom here on earth, bringing full circle what he intended it to be and reigning in Jerusalem, setting up, sitting on the throne of David for a thousand years. Then following that, the final judgment of all unbelievers. That's the great white throne judgment that we read about. And then the destruction that we're reading here will follow of the new heaven and the new earth that Peter is talking about. So do you see the day of the Lord, the succession of events over a period of time 
is what we're talking about when Peter says, the day of the Lord will come. All of these events, including the rapture, including the second coming of Jesus Christ, are going to catch a world that is not watching and not ready. It's going to catch them off guard as a thief in the night. They're going to be earth dwellers, as the book of Revelation puts them, here that are not believers, that are not anticipating or waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you believe in a rapture of the church, there are many within the church that will not be ready at the rapture of the church. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, he's speaking to Christians, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that, here it is, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Paul says the same thing that Peter is saying. For when they say peace and safety, in other words, when there is a false sense of security, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Now you all that have had babies, ladies, you know that when the labor pains begin, there's no stopping it. When the labor pains begin, they intensify, they get closer and closer until the birth is given. That's the description that we see here. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. He says it again. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That word sober there is like sobriety. Let us watch, let us be alert, and let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep in the night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, this I love, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that wherever, that whether we are awake or asleep, you understand that when the Lord returns to take the church to be with him, some of us will still be alive. Some of us have, will have fallen asleep already. So whether we are awake or asleep when he comes, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. That's Paul's words to the church at Thessalonica. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, 35, he said, heaven and earth are going to pass away. And Peter's, all, Peter's telling us that in this third chapter. Jesus said it in Matthew 24, that heaven and earth are going to pass away. But my words will by no means pass away, Jesus says. But of that day, here it is. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, and he's telling them what to look for. But as the days of Noah were, 
so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, the world was corrupt and did not know. Here it is. They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. He's talking about the inhabitants of the earth. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. He, Jesus goes on to say this, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. In other words, we're to be watching in expectancy. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Can't get any more clear than that. As church, as Christians, we're to be ready for the Lord's return. Peter also says that in that day, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Colossians tells us in Colossians 1.15 to 17, and you can read it, but it tells us that he is the sustainer of the universe. He's the source He's the one that holds it all together. And that's how I believe that the end of this earth that we know it, the heavens that we know it, how it and why it will end. Because God that holds it all together will remove his hand from it. The words that read the day of the Lord, If you look that up in the Bible, in a a source to see how many times that's in the Bible, you'll find that the day of the Lord is found 24 times throughout Scripture. Now, it's found a lot more times in a little bit differing of wording. But it's found in this exact words, the day of the Lord, 24 times in your Bible. Some of the events that fall under the day of the Lord as I already said, is going to be this seven-year tribulation period. There's going to be three sets of judgments that are going to happen during the seven-year tribulation period. There's going to be a final judgment at the Battle of Armageddon, we read in the book of Revelation, at the return of Jesus Christ at his second coming. The nations of the earth are going to be judged following the seven-year tribulation period. And you can read about that in Exodus uh, 30, verse 3. The millennial reign of Christ on earth is going to then begin, that thousand-year reign of Christ. The great white throne judgment, excuse me, for those who reject Christ is going to follow that thousand-year millennial reign. Satan and all the fallen angels are going to have their final judgment and be thrown into the lake of fire. And then the heavens will pass away with a great noise. 
and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That simplified is really speaking of the day of the Lord. It's all a future event. It's all, if you notice in what I just shared, it all has to do primarily with the coming judgments of God. There are some blessings. The millennium is going to be a blessing to the nation of Israel and to, even to the Gentile nations that are in that time. But it's primarily the judgments of God. I want to give you just a few descriptive words that you can find in your Bibles about the day of the Lord. It tells us that the day of the Lord is described this way. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction, a day of wrath and fierce anger, a day when sinners will be destroyed, a day of vengeance on his adversary. This is taken from the Bible. A day that the alarm will sound, an awesome day, a day in which the inhabitants of the land will tremble, a day when the light sources, speaking about the sun, moon, and the stars, will turn to darkness, a day of decision, a day when mighty men will cry out, a day when the world is not ready for his return. That's some, not all of the descriptive words of the day of the Lord. We read in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. You see, God is going to deal with man. During that day of the Lord, there's, during that tribulation period, the Lord of hosts is going to bring down everything that is proud and lofty in that day. In Isaiah 13, 6, it tells us, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. In Jeremiah 46.10, For this is the day the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour. It shall be saturated and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has sacrificed in the north country by the river Euphrates. Joel the prophet Joel in chapter 1, verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Joel 2, 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Joel 2:31. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and the great and awesome day of the Lord. How does that sound? I mean, this is speaking of the day that Peter is talking about in this third chapter of his second letter. We're told that the day of the Lord is going to be a day of decision. 
In Joel 3.14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Amos 5.20, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Obadiah 1.15, for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. Zephaniah 1.7 Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited His guests. In Zephaniah 1.14 The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. But as I already shared, there's also going to be a, uh, in the day of the Lord, there's going to be a time of deliverance and a blessing to the nation of Israel. It's going to happen during the millennial kingdom. Christ reigning on earth, personally directing the governments in the day of the world. And, and that's going to be also part of the day of the Lord. If you want to read about that blessing upon Israel, you can write down Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 to 20. But we also read in Zechariah 14.1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. Malachi 4.5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Pretty intense. I mean, that's the day of the Lord, and that's not even all of them. There's many more Old Testament prophecies concerning the day of the Lord. There was no doubt in the Jews' mind when they were considering what the prophets were saying that there's coming a day when God is going to intervene into world affairs, where God is going to establish His kingdom here on earth. That's the way their mind was thinking. But when we come into the New Testament, this revelation, this understanding of the day of the Lord was even broadening more for the church-age saints. The day of the Lord is also known in the New Testament as the day of Christ. We read in Philippians 1.6, he says, Be confident, Paul says, of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is when He returns. The work that He started is when you gave your life to Christ and He says, I'm not done with you until the day I return. In Philippians 1.10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Philippians 2.16, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2.2, not to be soon shaken in mind, Paul says, or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as from us, as though the day of Christ has come. You see, Paul even had to address the believers at Thessalonica because they were thinking that maybe Christ already came back. They were under great persecution. They were thinking, are we in that time? Has, you know, and has the day of Christ, did we miss it? And he had to set their fears at ease. Peter, he goes on in verse 11 of our text. 
He starts verse 11 with the word, therefore. He says in light of verse 10, what you just read, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since these things will be dissolved. What's our duty as Christians? We should seek to live holy lives, godly lives, God-like. We should want to be like him in our, in our manner, in our living, in light of the fact that this day is coming. If we believe that God has an appointed time, if we believe that Christ could come back at any time, if we believe that the succession of events is going to lead to what Peter's talking about here, the dissolving of the heavens and the earth, then we ought to be watchful. We should be ready. We should be conducting ourselves in godliness and being zealous for good works. That should be our duty as Christians. Look what he says in verse 12. Looking for... That word looking for means to earnestly desire. That you would be earnestly desiring as a Christian the Lord's return and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The question might be asked, can we hasten the Lord's return as believers. And I don't believe that we can change the timing of the Lord's return. God only knows the exact timing of that. But I believe that we can be involved with the timing of the Lord's return. I believe how we can be involved and how we are involved is in really two ways. One is through evangelism, by sharing our faith. The other one is in prayer as we pray. In Romans eleven twenty five, a verse I already shared, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and that has to do with people getting saved, that's part of hastening the Lord's return. The second part is praying for His coming. In Revelation twenty two twenty. even so come Lord Jesus. And you read that throughout the book of Revelation. It's a prayer of the, really, of the saints. Even so Come, Lord Jesus. And that can be the prayer of your heart. How many times have you prayed that? Man, I wish the Lord, Lord, would you come back? I'm ready for you. I'm ready for your return. Lord, save so-and-so. Lord, I got family members that don't know Christ. Lord, save them. But Lord, I'm so looking forward to your return. We know that the heavens are going to be dissolved. We know that there's a judgment day that is coming. But we read on in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, underline that, we look for a new heaven, new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I just wrote in my Bible, I can't wait. And look at the world we're living in now. Uh, think of the day when we're going to be in His presence, in a new heaven, in a new earth where righteousness dwells. 
Jesus told his disciples in John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself for where I am, there you will be also. We should hang upon that. We should believe it and hang upon those words. Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's not just a New Testament concept. Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. In Revelation chapter 20, this is after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ after Satan has already been thrown into the lake of fire, after the great white throne judgment has already taken place. John writes in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. He says, Now I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That was the vision that God gave to John on that island of Patmos. And then in Revelation 21, verse 3, this is the last chapter of the Bible. We read, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And then it tells us this, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. Wow. It's coming, church. And then in Revelation chapter 22, actually this is the last chapter of the Bible, it says this in verse 3, there shall be no more curse. You know the curse that was put upon Adam and Eve and the whole earth back in Genesis? And then you get to the last chapter of the Bible and we're told there shall be no more curse. And that's going to be a glorious day. No more struggling with sin. No more laboring, you know, it, it just all the, the things that you read of the curse back in the book of Genesis. No more curse. In light of this, Peter says that our behavior should change. In light of knowing what you know now, your behavior should change. He starts it with another therefore. He says, therefore, dearly beloved, looking forward to these things, I hope we are, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Be diligent. 
This is a, a, another time that Peter has used that word diligent. He used it in the first chapter. The word diligent makes, means make every effort. Make every effort, Christians, to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Do you know when you experience really the peace of God? It's when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ. That's the only time that you really experience the peace with God, excuse me. The peace with God. No longer battling, no longer running from Him. Now I have peace with God. That you would be found in Him in peace without spot and blameless. We're imperfect vessels, aren't we? Even as Christians. But on that day, when we stand before the Lord, and when we stand in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not going to be my works. It's not going to be my goodness. It's going to be what He has done for me. That I'll be able to stand there without spot and with blameless in the sight of God. Because He took my sin upon Himself at that cross. This is going to happen. It is coming. That I'm going to be in peace. I'm going to stand before you. you. Imagine that. Just put yourself in that place for a moment to be standing face to face with the Lord. Just you, one person, standing face to face with the Lord in that day. In peace, without spot, and blameless. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.10, he says, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That's how we should be seeking to walk, seeking to live in that way, knowing that the Lord could come back. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the state in which we should be the day the Lord comes back? diligently desiring to be holy, to live godly lives. John wrote in 1 John 2.28, he says, Now, little children, speaking to Christians, abide in Him that when He appears, when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. What does that look like? to be ashamed before Him at His coming. God, I, I pray that I'm not in that place of compromise the day you return. I, play, I pray that I'm, I'm at a place, I, I hope we're here in church and we're worshiping and then you come back. In 1 John 3, 2, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, this hope of his return, I believe is what he's talking about. 
Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Verse 15. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Here's Peter bringing in his brother Paul into his letter, considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's so patient. Makes me think of if the Lord would have come back 20 years ago, how many of you would be saved? If he would have come back 20 years ago, would you be in heaven? The long-suffering of our Lord, the patience of our Lord. Don't mix up the patience and long-suffering that he's not going to fulfill his promise, though. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You always have to keep that in mind. As some count slackness, but long-suffering towards us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think that the Lord's desire in this present age that we're living in is that as we go out and share our faith, that there are those being added to the church. God loves the church. He loves those that are His. And He loves every individual, even those that are walking in rebellion against Him, that say they don't want to have it. He loves them. And He desires that they would all come to repentance. He's patient. He's long-suffering towards mankind. Peter then mentions the beloved Paul He says in verse 16, as also in all of his epistles, much of Paul's letters were already written as Peter was writing this letter, speaking in them of things in which, I like this, speaking in his letters of things in which are are some things hard to understand. Have you ever found that out? You're reading your Bible. Man, I just, I can't just get my head around what that means. I'm trying to, what do you mean, Paul? And then we go to the Holy Spirit, we go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, would you show me that? I mean, some of these things are, uh, we see through glass darkly, the Bible says. We don't make sense of every detail. We're getting the panoramic view. But he's given us enough and enough understanding. We can't get all the details down. And even some of the things that are hard to wrap our head around. Peter, Peter says, speak, Paul's speaking in them, in his letter, these things in which some things are hard to understand. I, I think that Paul's letters and, and the, the content within the, the 14 of the 27 New Testament books that he wrote, I think he's speaking of the times that Paul was writing concerning the coming of the Lord. And Paul spoke much about the coming of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say, Peter says, which untaught or unlearned and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. 
<laughs> There's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of people denying Christ's second coming. They, they have all kinds of things that they, they would twist. Lots of groups out there. Many of them not even really Christians, but religious groups out there. And they might speak about the Lord's return. They might twist it. They might make it be something. You know, as I've already been sharing, here's our defense, the Word of God. Take in hand the Word of God. Let it be your defense. Let it be how you believe, what you believe. Let it be found in the Word of God. Peter warns that these untaught, as he puts them, these unstable people, that they'll twist these scriptures about the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The percentage of the church that is really anticipating and waiting for the Lord's return, if you look at statistics for all their worth, is getting smaller and smaller as the day approaches. It should be those that are in the light, those that know what their Bible says, it should be actually growing in anticipation. I like, though, just for a note, that Paul, Peter here refers to Paul's writings here as the Scriptures. In other words, they came from God. We're drawing close. Verse 17 is the application. There's always application that follows truth. There's always a final encouragement that is given in all of Paul's letters, Peter, you know. The, and listen to Peter's here in verse 17. He starts again with, You therefore beloved, in light of what I just shared with you about the day of the Lord, you being ready for the day of the Lord, what it's going to look like, how you should be living. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, it's what I said in the beginning, since you know this before the event, we could say, then beware. There's that beware that I've been talking about throughout this second letter. Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away or being carried away with the air of the wicked. That wicked is also translated being carried away by the air of the lawless. But grow, Christians. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen growing in the grace and growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to seek to practice, put into practice the things that we learn. You came to faith in Jesus Christ for by grace are you saved through faith. You came into a knowledge of Jesus Christ, what He has done for you on the cross and, and you repented of your sin and you asked Him into your heart grace and you had this knowledge of the Lord. Peter saying, but you need to grow in that. 
You need to grow in grace. You need to grow in knowledge. How do we grow in knowledge? We need to open up the Bible. We need to spend time knowing Jesus of the Bible. And as you grow in grace, as you grow in knowledge, you know what? what what he's referring to here is like a person growing in grace and knowledge is a person that's moving forward in grace and knowledge. What's the opposite for a Christian if you're not moving forward in grace and knowledge? That's what growing is. It's walking in grace and knowledge. It's going backwards. We call it backsliding. The Bible actually calls it backsliding. To be going the opposite of the direction that we should be going. Peter says, grow in grace. Grow in our understanding of God's grace. Grow in your experience of God's grace. That enabling grace that he gives you in your walk with him. Paul wrote in Colossians that we might know the grace of God in truth. Are you learning more and more about the grace of God in your own life? Are you applying the grace of God to your life? Unmerited favor. God just pours out his blessing upon us and we don't even deserve it. And he continues, but Lord, I want to know your grace. I want to know as I serve you and follow you. Lord, I want to be able to live in that grace. I want to experience that grace. If it weren't for your grace, Lord, I'd surely fall away. I'd give up. But by the grace of God, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Remember that this word knowledge in Peter's letter here, in his second letter, he uses it seven times throughout this letter. Obviously an important word in Peter's message to us from this second letter. Knowledge. Grow in that knowledge of the Lord. I can tell you that if you're not growing in knowledge, you're going to come up short in so many ways of life. You're not growing in grace and knowledge, you're going to come up short. You're going to struggle as a Christian. You're going to have a hard time really believing. You're, not, you're going to have a hard time even knowing what we should do and shouldn't do. You're always going to be going, well, isn't that one of the gray areas? And I want, you know, it, it's always going to be a bunch of question marks. But as you grow in your understanding of the truths and the promises of God's Word, you're going to stand firm. You're, going to, you're, you're not going to be moved away. And that's the place that we want to be in. And I believe that the days that we're living in today as Christians, it demands it. If I could put it in any stronger language, it demands that you would live in that way. It demands that you would grow in your grace and knowledge of Him. If you want to really survive in this present world as it gets darker and darker around us, then you must apply yourself to the Word of God. You must trust in the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You need to be a person of prayer. You need to be praying much. You need to realize that we live in a, in a world that is full of spiritual wickedness and spiritual battles that are around us. And we need to go to prayer and battle for those things. We have much to be praying for now. 
but we also are filled with hope. We have all this hope inside. We have all this confident expectation that the Lord's coming back just as He said. I'm resting in that. I'm trusting in that. It doesn't matter what COVID does. I'm trusting in You, Lord. I'm trusting in what You have promised to me. And those are the things that in light of this world that we're, Lord, I'm believing in You, trusting in You. I'm not going to get carried away with the fears and the anxieties that so many people are experiencing right now. I'm going to trust in you. And so let's uh, have the worship team come up. If you're here this morning and you don't have that 100% confidence that you know the Lord, as we're worshiping right now, just raise your hand. I'll see you. If you want to receive Christ, I'll come up to you after service. Just hang out at the back. I'll come back there and we'll pray together. You can receive Jesus Christ into your heart. You can know that you're saved. I don't want to give a message like this just thinking, well, everybody here is saved. I want to know that when every one of you walk out, if you choose to walk out of this place and you don't know Him as Lord and Savior, that's your decision. There's no forcing of anything. But I want to know that after I teach a message like this, the day of the Lord is coming. Are we ready that we would be ready, those that have heard, and that we would also know that we have had an opportunity once again to receive or to reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So let's all stand.